Turn your Bibles this morning to the Psalter. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 51 for a sermon entitled Confession. David wanted a snowstorm. David wanted that silent white, the snow white, that only God's grace can bring into his life after sin. Perhaps it was his sin with Bathsheba. I don't know. No scholar can be sure, but it really doesn't matter. God knew and David knew. And David was ready to be rid of it. He was ready for the white that follows a fresh fallen snow. Look at verse 7. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. People who wear sunglasses in the summer, get them out again after a snowstorm. Snow is a bright white beyond compare. David is calling out in this particular song, Lord, come into my stained life and wash me and make me clean. Make me like the white of snow. Karen Albert says all of us have things in our hearts that make us think that somehow we are unforgivable, unqualified, cut off from the full measure of the inheritance that God has for us. Maybe something happened in our life a long time ago, like an abortion that very few people even know about. Or maybe it's a long-term struggle with a secret sin. Or maybe, she writes, it's just that case of feeling terminally unique. That subtle feeling that somehow we're the only creature on God's earth cannot fully and truly be forgiven. You see, the problem, we're refusing to receive God's snowstorm of grace this morning is it leaves us with hearts of stone. As long as we leave ourselves under the load of shame and condemnation, our ability to work for the kingdom of God is cut short. As long as we accept the lie of Satan that somehow God's grace won't heal this one, that the blood of Jesus can't cover that one, we'll never really work for God's kingdom. The theological truth of the matter is this. Once we decide to ask God for forgiveness, it's not up to us how much God forgives. That's up to him. And I think his word has already told us that he will forgive completely. As we look at Psalm 51, I want us to look this morning at the process of forgiveness. If God were not willing to forgive sin, then heaven itself would be empty. I, I know it's true. God doesn't know us anything. Not a dime's worth of forgiveness, not a nickel's worth of grace. God owes us nothing. We have the commandments. We have the book. We know what we should do, but we've chosen to eat from the tree of death rather than the tree of life. God owes nothing but has given 
so much. The three C's of forgiveness. First of all, consciousness of sin. Consciousness of sin. It's that moment when we stop denying that we're doing wrong and admit, openly admit our wrongdoing. It says the same thing in 1 John 1. Listen to me. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, being conscious of our sin. When we pretend we're not sinners, then we're liars. It is only when we confess to God that God is able to forgive. The first C is consciousness of sin. When I share the gospel with children in my office, which is something I get to do a couple of times a week, children who are pondering being baptized, and we talk about sin, and I can tell you right now that unless a child is raised in church, he or she will not even know the word sin, much less understand the concept of sin. You see, the secular world is raising a generation of kids who might make mistakes or make bad choices, but the idea of sin is absolutely foreign to them. I'll ask them, who sinned? Well, everybody makes a mistake. No, who has sinned? The difference is clear. Sin can be and often is a willful disobedience against God. One child gave me the, the best definition of sin I've ever heard, and I've sat at the feet of a lot of world-class New Testament scholars. This child said to me, sin is when we do things our way instead of God's way. Improve on that. Sin is when we do things our way instead of God's way. God said, don't eat of that tree, but we do it anyway. God says, be patient and work hard and you can have it. We want immediate gratification. We become a thief. We want an easy way out and we become a liar. We don't really want to admit our sins these days. Our criminals don't sin. They're sick. Our, our politicians don't sin. They have indiscretions. We have an avalanche of euphemisms under which we try to hide the word sin. Newsweek printed an article, Pick and Choose Christianity. He said there's a cafeteria style of following Jesus these days where we can pick what we want and what we're leaving on the table. What no one's taking from the buffet is the idea that we have willfully sinned against God. In fact, in this article by Newsweek, only 50% of those surveyed felt like everybody had committed a sin in their life. In fact, 33% said that they had made a mistake, but no, they had never, ever sinned. 33% of the people think they are sinless who live among us. You see, the problem with casting sin aside is you cast aside the Savior. If we have no Savior, we have no salvation. If we claim we have no sin, we have no Savior, no Savior, no salvation. I remember sharing the gospel with one child and I was trying to get the idea across that we've all sinned. Have, have you sinned? I asked and the child said yes. I put them a little bit by and I said, well, what about me? Do you think that I have sinned? They don't want to hurt my feelings, but usually they'll confess, yeah, yeah, probably pastor you've sinned. Well, what about your daddy? Has your daddy sinned? This one's very quick. Yes, my daddy is a sinner. 
one child I asked, well, what about your mother? Has she sinned? Oh, no, not my mother, not my mother. <laughs> but the reality is even his mother has sinned. The last person we want to think about being a sinner is our mother, but even our mothers have sinned. Look at verse 3 of Psalm 51. I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me, not denying, not hiding, not covering up, but having a consciousness of sin. Well, not only being conscious of our sins, but secondly, a confession of sin. A Presbyterian minister told about his story, his first congregation he pastored. His predecessor had abolished a general confession as part of their order of worship. They would call it a liturgy. We did a general confession with Parker this morning. Well, one of the first things he wanted to do was to reinstate that general confession as part of the rhythm of the worship. But there was a lot of resistance to change in that church, as there often is in churches. And some members felt like confession of sin was just too morbid to do in church, that they came to be uplifted and to be happy. And, and the last pastor had gotten rid of it for a reason. And why would he bring back the Con the conversation about sin as part of their worship. And during the heat of the debate, one woman, an elder in the church, stood up and said, but I don't have to apologize to God for anything. What did she mean by that? I don't have to apologize to God for anything. Did she mean she hadn't committed any of the big sins, that she wasn't an adulteress, but Jesus told us that lust matters too. Was she saying she wasn't a murderer? That's a big one. But Jesus told us that anger brooding in our heart matters too. So she would be wrong. Or, or, or did she mean I need to apologize to the one against whom I've sinned and not to God? Maybe she didn't know this song of the Psalter against you, O oh God, and you only have I sinned. The second C is confession. In 1 John, we heard it before, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. We have to be conscious of our sin. And the truth is not in us. But if we, here's our second C, if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us. There's no other way to experience the snowstorm that David wants in his life other than really Confess our sins. Yes, we have to be conscious first, but being conscious is not the same thing as confession. Guilt is not grace, and regret is not repentance. To confess our sins means that, God, we've been going our own way, but now we want to go your way. We've been blazing our own trail, but now we want to follow the path of God. Conscious of your sin? That's the first step. But David tells us in this song that we must also be willing to confess our sin. Confessing our sin before God. Look what David does. He confesses. Look at verse 4. God, I have sinned against you. God, I have done evil in your sight. You are blameless when you judge me. Verse 5, he says, God, I'm a sinner from way, way back. Verse 17, which we did not read, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. 
We are to come to God this morning to the Lord's table with a broken spirit, a contrite heart, admitting our sins, conscious of our sins, confessing our sins, lastly, being cleansed from our sins. John Grisham writes these words in the Testament. The young man in the pulpit was praying. His eyes were clenched tightly and he was waving his hands gently upward. Nate, the alcoholic attorney, closed his eyes too and he called on God's name and God was waiting for him. With both hands, he clenched the pew in front of him. He repeated the list, mumbling softly every weakness and every flaw and every affliction that plagued him. He confessed them all. In one long, glorious acknowledgement of failure, he laid himself bare before God. He held nothing back. He unloaded enough burdens to crush any three men. And when he finally finished, Nate had tears in his eyes. I'm sorry, he whispered to God. Please help me. And quickly he felt the baggage leave his soul with one gentle brush of that hand. His slate had been wiped clean. He breathed a massive sigh of relief, but his pulse was racing. He heard the guitar playing again. He opened his eyes and he wiped his cheeks. Instead of seeing the young man in the pulpit, Nate saw the face of the Christ in agony and pain, dying on the cross. Cleansing from sin. Isn't what that what David wants? Look at verse 2. Wash me from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Look at verse 7. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Look at verse 10. What does David want? Create in me a clean heart, O God. John writes in his first letter, if we say we have no sin, we are liars, but we confess our sin. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And here it is, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Consciousness, confession, and cleansing. The formula cannot be broken. Every sin must be paid for. Either we will pay for it or we accept the fact that Christ has already died for it. Will you let Christ pay for your sins today? How far have you gone this morning in mismanaging your life? How far have you messed up your marriage? How far have you ruined your reputation? However far you've compromised your morals, however far you've gone away from the Father, Christ calls you to consciousness, confession, and cleansing. What we need around here is what David was longing for, a really good snowstorm.
conscious, confessing, and cleansing. When you and I hold on to the sins of yesterday, when we hold on to the brokenness of our past, I can only imagine God in heaven looking down and saying, I sent my only son to die for you. That's the Lord's Supper this morning. His body was broken. His blood was shed. If the broken body of the Christ, if the shed blood of the Savior will not call you to drag your sins and leave them at the foot of the cross, I don't know what will. Can you imagine God's perplexity of your holding on to sins when he sent Jesus to die for them? I can imagine God thinking, I gave my son that you could let them go. What more would you require of me? Satan always loves to remind us of our sins of yesterday. But the symbol this morning of the Lord's Supper is that his body was broken and his blood was spilled, that we could be free. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Maybe today is a special day for many of you here in this room, live streaming, watching live by television. Maybe it's a day for you to know on this day, as a response to this sermon on this passage, you drove a stake in the ground and said to Satan, I will let the broken body of Jesus, I will let his shed blood pay for my sins. I am conscious of my sins. I confess my sins. But likewise, we must willing to be forgiven, cleansed of our sins. There's an unmarked tomb outside of Sydney, New York. It has one word, three syllables. Forgiven. That's not a bad word on any of our tombstones. Forgiven. The only thing that makes a people of God different from all other people is we accepted the sacrifice of his son and we are forgiven. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you this morning And we know that Jesus Christ has died for us. We know that he has paid the price. There are some folks this morning that Satan reminded them for decades of the failure so long ago, or maybe yesterday, but the sacrifice of the Son is sufficient. Right now, this day, at this table, we let it go. Amen.